Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Hey there everybody, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar once again back for our fortnightly filmed version of Investing Insights with Right Property Group. Last fortnight we had Brad Beer yes, that's uh, right. from BMT to talk everything around depreciation and I believe he got a million questions because we gave out his... Personal email personal and mobile, didn't email. we? <laughs> I know that. <laughs> it, but he asked for it. It wasn't yeah. though we just, you know... He's just a glutton for punishment, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, but he's a good guy and... Uh, very good operator mm-hmm. at what he does as well. So Vic, it's been a massive fortnight in terms of the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, crisis after crisis, whether it be, well, as of today, we have the uh, the border lockdown between Victoria and New South yep. Wales, even though you, this will be out a few days after that. Uh, we have political unrest in certain areas across the world. Mm-hmm. Uh we have obviously COVID, which is r- having its second wave of infections in Australia and other parts of the world. It's just beyond control, uh, if you will. And whilst that doesn't sound like a very rosy picture of what's happening in the world at the moment, nonetheless, there's always a crisis. There's that, always something, right. always has been, always will be. And I'm not for one minute downplaying the severity of what is happening, especially with COVID. Uh, my point is there is always something. That's right. And, and I guess this is where it sorts out whether you are a problem for every so every solution type of guy or a solution for every problem type of guy, isn't it? Can you say that one again? I just uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's uh, half glass full, half glass That's right. uh, empty, empty at the same time. And you don't want to be an ambulance chaser and mm-hmm. uh, benefit off other people's misfortune. But there is always something that will stop somebody uh, or perhaps even invigorate uh, That's right. somebody else. And in every crisis, there's always a flow of wealth. And the flow of wealth is usually from the ones that are unprepared to the ones that are prepared and the ones that have educated themselves and are able to see the silver lining in opportunities and see uh, how they can better their position um, without, you know, without uh, doing anything untoward uh, and making sure that they don't get caught up in all the hype, in the negative media, in, in the negative news that's flowing around. This is reality and we need to accept it as reality and say, okay, how can I really um, better my situation or, or uh, solidify my situation based on the current circumstances? Because these are the cards we're dealt. Absolutely. And I'm glad you actually say that because... Today, I wanted to talk about the state of your wallet dictates the state of your mind. And what mm-hmm. I'm really referring to there is about cash flow or cash flow management yep. and creating an asset vehicle. And in our case, it's property about being balanced mm. because there's, a, there's the age old argument is around, should I invest for growth and don't worry about the cash flow or should I invest for cash flow, cash, cash flow, cash flow uh, and put growth as a secondary you know, part of the equation? And what I wanted to talk about today was that you actually need both. You mm-hmm. can have both. It's just the way that you go around it. That's right. Yeah. So if you were doing live TV, this would be the time where we'd cut away to a break, isn't it? Because you know, we're about to reveal the, reveal <laughs> yeah, the whole the <laughs> the secret <laughs> source. <laughs> yeah, we'll be right back after this break. It, um, I'd actually be interested to know because I know a few podcasts do have the, mm-hmm. the, the commercials in it. Not that we will ever do that, uh, but I'd be interested to know if it, just ticks people off 
Yeah, do, do send us an email if, uh, with your yeah, thoughts, right? Because yeah, so. yeah, I get annoyed. Yeah, I do too. I, it's I do just too. like just as you got me, you want to throw to a break. Yeah, but I guess you know it's they, like the they, days they, of our lives. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think that's that's the way things are forming out at the moment. Yeah, but you know, coming back to cash flow or capital, uh, what do we concentrate on, and uh, what's the better approach? Um, do we concentrate on just cash flow? Do we concentrate just on capital growth and 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 high growth, or is there a better way? I believe there's a better way. Mm-hmm. I know you do as well. Absolutely. Um, but before we get into that, one of the other big bits of news was that everybody's been talking about this cliff face that is approaching in September mm-hmm. when the, the mortgage moratorium ends, job keeper, job seeker, uh, and the like. And I, I, I really have a trouble trying to get my head around all the negative media around that. Now, I know that's clickbaitable and you know, good, uh, good news isn't, good and doesn't sell but bad news does but does everybody just think that the government and the banks are going to flick the switch off and kill the economy like just overnight come whatever after doing all this hard work yeah Yeah. and as i say that the banks last night have come out and they're going to continue being a shock shock absorber for the economy Mm -hmm. for at least another four months for at least another four months and extend to for those that need it, mm-hmm. uh, the mortgage moratorium, and, and good on them for doing that. And I'd also suggest that the government, uh, in their role with the JobKeeper, JobSeeker, might have different frameworks around coming right, of September yeah. as opposed to what it looks like now. But for one minute, if they if the the economists um, and those that are on the negative side of the ledger think that the switch will be just flicked and the world will implode or Australia will implode. Mm. It's just not responsible yeah, reporting. Yeah, I, I guess what will happen is um, the qualification criteria will be a little bit more stringent because when we started out, um, it was anyone that applied um, pretty much almost certainly got the hmm. uh, got the nod to say, okay, you can go on mortgage pause. The same with JobKeeper as well. But now they're going back and doing the audits. Uh, and the ones that had fudged their figures uh, to capitalise on misfortune, so to yeah. speak... Now they're going to pay the penalty for it, right? And and going forward, they'll be a lot more stringent because we have now had time to put processes in place to mitigate those things. Uh, and um, obviously, with the banks, they will ask more pointed questions. They may ask for uh, employment details and all that sort of stuff uh, before they put you onto uh, a further extension of your mortgage pause. Um, but I need to flag this again, like we did uh, before, that when you are going into mortgage pause, you're actually increasing your debt. You're actually increasing your debt. So when you come out on the other end, you need to calculate whether you are going to be able to afford the um, repayments as they kick back in at the higher debt. So uh, effectively, you, you're adding almost a year of um, interest repayments or even full principal and interest repayments. And therefore, the new repayments would be calculated off that new balance or they may reduce the time on the mortgage or increase the time depending on how the bank looks at it and that'll definitely impact the monthly repayments that you're going to make. Yeah, and so think long and hard about it but if you do need it, you do need it because it keeps you in the market. That's right. Essentially, over this speed hump. Now, the reason I bring that up is because essentially that's all around cash flow Mm -hmm. and the subject today once again is around cash flow management and creating a balanced portfolio so let's let's address the very first thing here which is what is 
what is the correct way? Is it growth? Should we be just going for all growth or should we be going for all cash flow? And the, the, the answer to that really is different for everybody. For everyone. Yep. Yeah. Now, there is, no, there is no wrong or right decision there. And there are some people out there that say, well, the more expensive the property is, therefore in potentially CBD areas, offer a better rate of growth. Mm -hmm. And there are some that say, well, you'll never get the cash flow out of a property unless you go into higher risk areas. And I just don't buy into each of those comments That's at right, the end yeah. of the day. And I certainly don't believe that you have to spend a million dollars for it to be a wise investment decision. I agree, I agree. And I guess the other thing we need to define here is when we're talking about cash flow, we're talking about cash flow in your budget in, in terms of your ability to hold into the property. We're not necessarily talking about positive cash flow property out in Whoop Whoop. We're talking about still investments in sound fundamental areas and which is affordable to your budget. Uh, so I guess before you can even decide on whether you're going capital or cash flow or a blend of both, which is our preferred method, um, you need to first of all work out where the household budget sits. In other words, after you've lived, how much money is left or how much money are you putting aside towards holding your investments? And that then determines where you can buy and, and what type of property in terms of the negative cash flow that it may bring. And then the next thing that you're looking at is obviously how much capital you've got to get started, right? So it could be that you can afford uh, a property with a negative cash flow of say $400 a week and just making these numbers up, $400 a week in negative cash flow before tax. Yet the amount of capital you've got to get started is only 50,000. Certainly you'll be going into the lower price bracket because of the amount of capital you've got. So you need to work all of those things out first before you can even answer which way you're going. Yeah, you need to reverse engineer the first step, mm -hmm. which sounds quite counterintuitive, but it's it's the truth. As you say, you might have, and I'm just plucking a number here, you might have $50,000, $100,000 as a deposit, but you have the serviceability. In, in other words, the bank will lend you $2 million. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't mean much. You, the starting point is the capital. That's right. And closely followed by the serviceability because mm. you need you need both at the end of the day. You also made another really good point about cash flow is in the eye of the beholder, mm -hmm. so to speak, uh, and that each and every property has different things that it brings to the table or to the portfolio and that we need a balanced approach. Now, whilst we've talked about that you don't have to spend a million dollars for it to be a wise investment decision, and what I mean by that, higher rates of growth, we don't buy into that. But I also don't buy into that we need to go to a one-trick pony town where there is elevated risk so that we can enjoy the higher cash the higher flow, cash flow yeah. as well. Because there is a risk associated with that, you know, mining towns as mm -hmm. an example or, you know, one economy drivers uh, and the like. So it is finding that balance not just between cash flow but what lets you sleep at night. That's right. Which is one right. of the fundamental governors yeah. I, I think of that's everything. The, that's the biggest litmus test, right? And, and if the property that you've bought allows you to sleep at night, then perhaps it is the right property if you've ticked out all the, all the fundamentals uh, in that investment, right? But before all of that as well, Steve, I think one of the things that we need to uh, be mindful of is what's our relationship with money to begin with, right? Uh, are we, are we uh, chasing that quick win? We've always been chasing that quick win and have this last throw of dice to, to get that huge win. Race, get out stakes. Yeah, that's right. Race, eight, get out stakes. Yeah. Uh, uh, or are we so petrified of losing uh, the money that we, we are forever caught in analysis 
and we never make a move. We're right? paralyzed. Yeah. So we need to actually sort that out and and uh, think of how how your relationship with money is. Uh, and a really good example of it is if you go back to 2016-17, when money was flowing really well in, in the economy, um, everyone was buoyant. The prices were just skyrocketing up in in Sydney and Melbourne. Everyone was increasing their discretionary spending by the spades. Right. Mm. So um, I went and upgraded my home theater system back then, and uh, was, I got to talking to the guy because you know that's what we do is we, do, we talk to people to find you know how we can we can um, create the rapport to then uh, go through the negotiation phase. So <laughs> there was, see, there was an angle there. <laughs> there you was just, an angle. You were just looking yeah. for the negotiation. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So and I was talking to this guy, and, and he said, and I said, oh, you, you you're probably struggling to um, uh, you know move this higher priced item. He said, no, no, no I've run off my feet because. Uh, and and I, I just put two and two together in the sense that property market was born, everyone felt rich, and so therefore they splurged, right? Now, when you come back to a market like this, or any crisis like this, where it was, um, so last year it was the elections, as an example, or the virus now, um, especially when the government's handed out the $750, as an example, yet they're struggling to get people to spend it because people aren't feeling wealthy in that sense, right? So, the state of your mind, uh, state of your wallet, dictates the state of your mind is is true in all forms, right? And it does also impact the types of property you buy, depending on how much cash you've got, how much cash flow that's happening at that moment, and so you do end up perhaps splurging out on a property that might not be the right long-term property, because you haven't taken into account your long-term income projections as well. You're just looking at your 2017 scenario as opposed to your 2020 scenario, right? So um, th- that, that's, that's something that does dictate where and how and how rapidly people invest. Um, and a true testimony to that also is a lot of these seminars and a lot of these workshops start springing up when the market itself is buoyant. Mm. Where are these seminars? Where are these um, uh, courses and all that? When the market isn't quite buoyant, they so, sort of die away. Yeah, yeah. It um, as you were saying that, and I know we've said it in other podcasts about the the get rich quick overnight things, mm-hmm. and usually the advertising around that is they're standing in front of their red Ferrari, their yacht, of course, or their helicopter. Steer clear is our word of warning. Not that everybody who has a Ferrari, a helicopter, and a boat is a bad person. Just to be clear, I mean, mm. Vic, you've got three helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> that toy ones. <laughs> yeah, Lego, Lego sets, which you're still tr- struggling to put together from the age of eight. Um, but I think before we even start, as an investor in any asset class, we need to know what the exit strategy is or the mm-hmm. exit. And the yeah. exit doesn't mean the retirement of debt, uh, as, an ex- as an example, and, and living passively, if you will. But it's also taking into account should a crisis present itself, what exit strategies do I have? And Mm -hmm. does the strategy that I have today allow me to pivot slightly so that I can keep control of the asset because that gives me time in the market, which is where the Mm -hmm. wealth is. And so the bottom line is that you actually need cash flow or cash flow management. So whenever we talk about cash flow in this podcast, let's just relate to that as cash flow management. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also need the growth because the cash flow keeps us in the market, brackets pay the mortgage, while and control the asset over a period of time for the heavy lifting of time to give us the growth as long as we're in the right areas to begin with. So if you can't have one, or you shouldn't have one, 
without the other. That's right. It's it's an equation, and you need to balance out both ends of the equation to get to the result, right? So, um, uh, this is where a lot of people they they become too um, impatient to get to a result, and maybe they haven't seen a growth in the property. And the reality of it is that growth does not happen every single year. It's not linear. It's not linear at all, right? And gr- growth happens in spurts, and it as it grows up in value it also can come down in value and you need to factor all of those in uh, and and this is where if you don't have good cash flow management chances are that your circumstances will change as values come down because it it basically impinges on the on the economy around you as well so you'll then be forced to sell a property that's actually come down in value and so not only have you have you uh, lost momentum you've also lost real money because you had to sell because you couldn't afford to hold on to it. So by buying the wrong property, uh, in, in other words, striving to get the highest possible price um, for brag rights or for you know a million dollar property, if it goes up in value by 10%, it's another $100,000 uh, uh, using that argument, um, you, you lose a lot of money that way. But if you, if you did it in a diversified way, in the sense that still have a million dollar exposure, but have two $500,000 properties as an example, um, that would give you a greater um, ability to tech and change directions in, in times like this. And uh, if the cash flow becomes really tight, you'd probably offload one uh, instead of both properties. Uh, and it is in times like this, your $500,000 property is more affordable in our example here than the million dollar uh, property because there are far more buyers in this, in this pool. So it's about liquidity. That's right. Within That's right. the market. And we're not suggesting that you know, a $500,000 property is the only way to go. It's horses mm-hmm. It's horses for courses. So That's where right. you're up to, if, if the beginning of the found foundation of creating a portfolio is some way down, mm. it's just the numbers we were talking about there as, as a, pure, a pure example. And I think that people really should be thinking about cash flow management all the time. But mm-hmm. how do we do that? So the, it's all good to say that. But how do we create the portfolio so that it is, let's call it self-sustaining or it's within our parameters mm-hmm. of our shortfall component that we're willing to contribute to support the yep. portfolio? And I think we mentioned that maybe last uh, last podcast around what is the shortfall and how much you are willing to contribute from your savings mm-hmm. to support the portfolio. And it's within that framework number that you should be looking to create the portfolio because once you get outside of those parameters that's when you're starting to push all the numbers and extremities of risk and anything that can go wrong and will go wrong will then jeopardize your entire position it will and and uh, i'm glad you mentioned numbers right because this is this is where a lot of people when they're starting to invest they're not 100% on the numbers. So if you don't know how much money is coming in and how much money is going out, how can you budget to allocate money towards property investing? Uh, I'm, not ta- I'm not talking about capital. Mm. I'm talking about the actual day-to-day running of your portfolio, right? Because that, that does have a finite number, uh, plus then you need to add your risk mitigation on top of that in, in terms of your buffers. So if you're not knowing how much money you've got left over to begin with, you really shouldn't be starting to invest because that way you will, regardless of whether the property is a good investment property or not, it'll be the wrong property for you because you haven't looked at its holding cost in its true um, form. And um, as, as soon as something 
goes wrong, whether it is the economy, whether it is in your personal life, whether it is your job, uh, or whether it is a tenant that's absconded, uh, you will find that the true hurt gets revealed. And amplified. Absolutely it will be. And for one minute, if you think that there's never going to be a crisis or that cross that point in time where you need to make some very quick decisions you're, you're kidding yourself you haven't lived long enough there mm-hmm. is as we mentioned and, and actually you touched on it earlier on we have COVID now we had the election last year we yep. had APRA we had a Royal Commission we have a GFC there is always every couple of years some crisis and I'm using that word deliberately because for some it may not be a crisis and for other others it, it is mm-hmm. Or it even might be an opportunity for others because they've got the fundamentals correct, which is all around cash flow management and the ability to be able to execute an opportunity because their home is in order, yeah. their house is in order. Yeah. So I've got a question for you then, Steve. Uh, I've already got a portfolio and I've, and I've um, uh, focused purely on heavy capital growth. What do I do now? Well, that really depends on the cash flow position. Once mm-hmm. again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the very the very first thing you should do is is a an A&L, let's do an asset and liability. Let's have a look at the cash position and how much time does our buffers and those pieces of mitigation that we've put in place, and I'm also going to overlay that with I've just lost my job, mm-hmm. right? So how yeah. much have I got in place to be able to keep the mortgages paid and still live effectively before things change for me? But if I've got nothing in the tank, if I've got no money put aside, no buffers, no anything, well, then I really need to start looking to offload one or two assets, whatever mm-hmm. it may look like, so that I can live to fight another day. But my answer to that would be don't get yourself in that position to begin with. Absolutely, absolutely. So it, it, it comes back to constant planning, constant reviewing of the situation, of your, of your position, and also making sure that someone can wake you up at 2 a.m. in the morning and ask you, what's your portfolio numbers? And you need to be fairly spot on, right? <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that. It's just like, yeah, we'll ring you at 2 o'clock in the morning and just check in. Yeah. No. Okay, so if you give us your phone number, we'll call you at 2 a.m. and check. Better still, I'll, I'll give Vic's phone number and you can check in at 2 o'clock in I the am morning. a morning person, yeah. but not I'm a good, 2 a.m. person. Yeah, I'm good to about 1 o'clock in the morning, then I go to sleep, but Vic gets up at 2, so yeah. you've got a sweet spot there. So... The stress of rotating cash flow versus the contentment of accrual. Mm-hmm. Now, what we mean by that is the stress of rotating cash flow is the ups and downs as opposed to just, let's call it a lineal approach mm-hmm. because we've created a portfolio that is balanced. So let's get back to the subject, which is the balanced portfolio yep. approach. And what exactly do we mean by a balanced portfolio? Yeah, so it, it, it is, as it is, it, uh, implies it is a balance between your capital growth and your cash flow component. Right? In other words, the, the amount of money required to hold on to that portfolio. Notice I'm saying portfolio, not not property. Yeah, So it's holding on to that portfolio. So whether it is $200, $300, $500 a week uh, to hold an entire portfolio, um, it, it depends on your personal budget. Right, So... Um, the idea is that you, you need to be looking at all of the moving parts in here. So your major moving part here is your mortgages, right? Because that has a big bearing as to what your holding cost is likely to be. So if your mortgages are way above uh, your standard for an investor of your level, uh, perhaps you need to relook at it. Uh, and, and we're creatures of habit, right? So we, we, we 
because it's not hurting us because it's not uh, bothering us right now we tend to leave things alone so we don't go and review our mortgages often i'm not necessarily talking about refinancing i'm talking about actually having a look at the interest rates that you're paying and uh, making sure that it is in line with everyone else um uh, a really good example would be if you've gone from interest only into principal and interest um um or often the loans also revert to their standard variable rate big difference big too. difference mm. right a standard variable rate with most banks has a 5 in front of it whereas you could um review your rates and potentially fix that with a 2 in front of it so that's a that's a fairly significant uh, reduction in your running cost the other thing of course you you're looking at is what's the performance of the property and what's the purpose of the property itself right so why have you bought this property is there is it to um set aside it's a set and forget and you're going to come back to that in in a decade two decades to see how it's performed and is it's it's um slowly paying the debt off or have you bought this to do something with whether it is a subdivision whether it's a development whether it's a renovation or even something as simple as adding another room to this so it's it's something that you're doing something with mm. um or is it something that uh, you've earmarked to say you know what I'm going to hold it for 5 years see where my position is and th- by s- selling this down it might give me a larger deposit for my better principal place of residence right so it comes back to your plan as to what the overall overarching plan is and what does this particular property with its micro strategy on it what does that bring to the mix and whether it is now time to then um um pull the trigger on that strategy or because of the current climate is it wiser to sit back and uh wait it out and in the meantime perhaps go back into the accumulation phase or the debt consolidation phase uh to uh progressively move closer and closer to your end goal and of course all along what we're doing is constantly reviewing our goal for relevance now by goals i mean what's the end outcome we are after in our in our portfolio Yeah, 100% because the two finite resources that we have in terms of our monies is our capital, yep, and our cash flow. Mm-hmm. They only go so far. So we need in terms of capital, we need the ability via growth to be able to recycle that capital, i.e. deposits, closing mm-hmm. costs and what have you, to then move or deploy into the next property at a given point in time unless you're mm-hmm. starting with a, a very big pot to begin with. And the other finite resource is the cash flow, which is our ability yep. physically to be able to control the mortgages, and then from a lending perspective, how much money the banks are willing to give you. Because if you can't get the finance from the bank because of a lack of serviceability, mm-hmm. therefore cash flow, well then you're stuck. And so the way that you create your portfolio needs to be all-encompassing, so that there is a mix, as you mentioned before, of properties that might be more. around cash flow growth mm-hmm. is always there yeah. we might be able to manufacture the cash flow mm-hmm. as an example and that the growth is there to get us to the end goal in terms of wealth so there's a wealth management mm-hmm. component to this and then there's the there's cash, cash flow, flow component yeah. that's right yeah to it all because in terms of capital or growth or equity there are really three types if we shortlist it mm-hmm. it's purchased equity so how you buy yep. the property There's manufactured equity. What can This you do to it to enhance it? Renovation, subdivisions, yep. that sort. Yeah. And then there's organic equity, which is just organic growth. 
and sometimes if the the uh, the position is right for that person, you could potentially do all of that at once by mm -hmm. controlling the right type of asset in the right area. Yeah, and then we can plug that because let's assume that the cash flow with that particular opportunity isn't that good. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to I want to just make a point about isn't that good. It's each to their own. So someone might think three and a half percent is a cash cow, is a yield, mm -hmm. and others might think that's just horrific. So once again, finding what your level is is the important things. But if we need to plug the cash flow gap, well then the planning stage of the next property, or we might have done it the property before, is about well how can we manufacture or create the cash flow? That might be a commercial opportunity. Mm -hmm. There might be a dual income opportunity. Once again, they're both got to have growth characteristics so that we're balancing the book. That's right. Yeah. So what, what, what you're, you're saying, Steve, is that we can't look at the property in its isolation, right? Whilst we're looking at the opportunity that property presents in its isolation, we need to look at its impact on the entire portfolio and its impact on us being able to borrow further money down the track or its impact on us getting closer to our end goal, wh whatever that goal is, right? So uh, it's really important not to get caught up swayed with the opportunity of a lifetime because the opportunity of a lifetime could often be the wrong opportunity in your portfolio there is an opportunity of a lifetime every day absolutely somewhere yep it's just that how do you identify it and mm -hmm. how does it fit into your portfolio so i like that that at the end of the day every property that you have in a portfolio has an absolute reason for being there mm. don't is, buy for the sake of do buying. not buy for the sake of it if your goal is four properties as an example Theoretically, you could go out and find the fun, four fundamentally correct areas and just buy those and sit back and you'll be good in 20, 30 years' time. But mm -hmm. what happens between now and that 20 or 30 years' time is actually where the oxygen, which gives you the chance to breathe and live, is where the gold is. Because yep. if you don't have the cash flow to support the mortgages, you can have all the growth in the world, but you won't realize it mm -hmm. you'll become a statistic yeah so essentially your ability to support the property buys you time doesn't it that's because what it's time, about time time does the magic yes you help it along with uh you know doing the renovations doing the subdivisions buying really well but eventually the major heavy lifting is done by time uh, and, and one of the things that people get caught up with is is how much equity they've got and how much you know uh, uh the portfolio value is i think for for Far and most, it is it is a fool's gold in the sense that you can't really spend the equity unless you sell or unless you leverage off it in terms of getting a loan from it, right? You, ca you can't go out and take a brick and say, you know, give me a cup of coffee, right? Um, maybe that's one way of getting coffee, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With the amount of coffee you drink, it'd be like a full wall. I know, right? Uh, but but this, is, this is where people get um, uh, sidetracked in terms of the rhetoric that's out there in terms of, you know, I've got a million dollar property, I've got a $20 million portfolio. It's all irrelevant. What's really relevant is understanding that the cash flow gives you the lifestyle. So once you've unencumbered the debt, the cash flow gives you the lifestyle. The equity position gives you the wealth. They're two very different things. Always have been mm. and always will be because the cash flow management is like an expansion joint in a, in a building. Oh, I like that gets better because without the expansion joint when bad weather comes mm -hmm. the whole wall cracks and fall, falls over so think yep. of your cash flow management as that shock absorber between the good and bad times and mm -hmm. without it 
there's all sorts of trouble around the corner because once again there is always trouble mm. you can't have long periods without economic downturns whether that be from a personal perspective or a a macro perspective via the world or the, or the economy so you need to account for it all the time and unfortunately investors of any asset class have very short memories yes they and do always have so you think about this literally four months ago the world was living quite large mm -hmm. you know record runs on the stock market uh, no recessions in australia for you know a gazillion years everything was just pretty rosy and then it happens we have just a flick of a switch literally yeah. and so everything has been turned upside down and today for some it's an opportunity mm -hmm. and we did a podcast about this maybe three four five podcasts ago on why we think that for some it's a fantastic moment in time to continue or start their portfolios and for others it's just you should do nothing yeah. you, should, you should batten down the hatchets where they doubt and consolidate whether that be around the equity position or the cash flow, so that it buys you time. Mm -hmm, absolutely, and um, and that that's where that's where a lot of people get caught up in when you're buying time via your cash flow. Uh, don't get impatient just because you haven't acquired property for two three years because you're not in a position to. Don't get itchy feet. Don't don't go out and just buy something for the sake of buying. Um, and um, don't. This is this is where. You will then get caught up in the slick marketing. You'll get caught up in the opportunity for a lifetime. Uh, you'll get caught up in wanting to see action. Don't uh, confuse action with results, because it's the results we are after. And uh, when you're taking action, it needs to be deliberate action. Action, and sometimes the best action to take is no action. So you're not buying any more properties, you're waiting it out, letting it consolidate, letting the cash flow settle down. Because initially when you when you buy a property, whether whether it is um, uh, you know, in, in the higher bracket or in the affordable bracket, it's still the same. You have your initial flurry of repairs, initial flurry of, of expenditure uh, as things settle down. And then it starts to steady out. And then you have your occasional bumps when your tenant leaves or there's there's maintenance. And usually you know, the maintenance usually comes about, you know, four, five, ten years uh, in, in a row. So, um, you know, this year I'm having a huge run of hot water systems uh, in my portfolio. Yeah, me too. Maybe it's yeah. the same person. Must be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, or if it's, say, uh, your Brisbane property is an example, change in legislation where you get got to upgrade all of your smoke alarms as an example, right? So that's a, that's a major expenditure. But in between, you'll have the lulls in terms of the expenditure. And it is during those times that you may want to plan far better, maybe squirrel the extra money away, or perhaps look at acquiring another property, still taking into account that there may be spikes in your expenditure along the way, uh, and uh, making sure that you've got the money set aside to do that. Otherwise, what will happen is that you will start hating your portfolio. You'll sta start... Um, resenting the properties and, and actually resenting the property managers calling you because it's it's expenditure after expenditure or as we get out of this lower interest rates and for sure we'll get into higher interest rates all we all we don't know is that when but it is it is definitely i can give you 110 percent guarantee that it will happen um you'll find you that heard it here first yeah, you heard <laughs> it here first right yeah. um you, you'll find that if you haven't planned accordingly for the cash flow, 
you will you will have had to sell down at a point where the market is absolutely starting to take off again, um, which is usually the case, right? Um, so because after every crisis, there's a dip, or during a crisis, there's a dip, and then there's recovery. Uh, and a lot of people, when they've had bad cash flow management or, or had, had gone in with the wrong numbers in terms of their uh, holding costs, as soon as it starts hitting rock bottom, they've had enough, they'll start selling. And the sophisticated or the informed investors will then move in and buy it and, and ride the wave up in terms of recovery to then get good growth. And then it plateaus out again. So, you know, like we said in the beginning, it's not linear, right? It comes up and down, up and down. It finds a reason to go down, whether the reason is unplanned like today or planned like APRA, mm. right? So those, those things will happen in your portfolio and if you haven't factored in those and you have bought the properties purely on the strength of, yes, it's going to have fantastic capital growth because it's, uh, it's got X, Y, and Z factors on it, and you've ignored the second ingredient of this, um, of this pie, so to speak, uh, you'll find that it just will not taste right for you because you've, you've missed out the most key ingredient. Right? So the, the two key ingredients are, of course, growth, and the other is cash flow cash flow management in that sense, right? So um, this is this is one of the reasons that people lose their portfolio, lose their homes, is purely on cash flow management. It's not loss of equity or gain of equity or, or uh, loss of want of the property. It is inability to hold on because they've got into such a negative cash flow, um, whether it is just the property itself or everything in the periphery because you can't just be treating the property portfolio in its isolation. You need to be looking at your entire money management as well and what your money paradigms are and, and how you're handling money, how you're handling debt. Um, are, you, are you wearing your debt as a badge of honor uh, in that sense? Or are you actually being pragmatic about it and saying, okay, yes, I've got a, got a $10 million debt, but to hold that $10 million debt, it's only costing me $400 a week to hold onto this $10 million debt. And this $10 million debt is... Uh, um, uh, leveraging or helping me hold onto say $14 million of assets. So you drill it back to, oh, now I don't owe $10 million. I actually need to come up with $400 a week. And that's a better perspective, that's a better way of looking at your portfolio so that you don't get caught up in all of this rhetoric of property prices going up, property prices going down, property prices going sideways, jobs on the line. All you need to know is that to get to your end goal, you need to come up with $400 each week. Yeah, and that's a pretty simple way. Great figures too, by the way, like $14 million or <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was. Um, but I think you're right. I think most investors lack an overall strategy, and that strategy might have been pretty back of envelope or beer coaster mm -hmm. at, the, at the pub, if you will, but they lack an overall strategy and think that, well, if I just buy you know, an amount of properties, time will do its work and, and I'll be okay. But there's a lot between buying and actually reaching that goal there's yep. the ability as we've just mentioned to be able to pivot so in a perfect world your property should have options mm. right the options might be around liquidity manufacturing of equity manufacturing of cash flow a zoning not just reliant upon all the time or every property about just organic growth but in between that you also have the review yeah because things change all the time, whether it be your own personal circumstances. So if you're budgeting for 40 years, you've probably just wasted a hell of a lot of time mm -hmm. because you don't know what 
four or five years is going to be like, let alone 40. Mm-hmm. So once again, having the ability within the portfolio to tack or to pivot, to be liquid, is actually safety. It's mitigation. And because there will be the ups and the downs as we yeah, absolutely. They talk be. about they will be. Yeah, and and uh, it's important. You mentioned that budgets, right? So you know, doing forty-year budgets, doing five-year budgets. The budget, whichever way you look at it, uh, obviously you need to look at it. Uh, in my own personal personal circumstances, I do major budgets at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the financial year, but I then look at it on a weekly basis. I look at my money coming in, my money going out on a weekly basis. Now, that's because I'm very hands-on on my portfolio and my, my portfolio is fairly diverse in that sense, right? So I need to know how much money is coming in and how much money is going out um, to be able to make sure that there is always ample cash flow projection in terms of what's going to be required in a month's time, two months' time. So I know when the vacancies are coming up. I know when, uh, apart from the hot water systems, when the planned maintenances but are coming up. you've accounted for it. You've allocated yes, I have. for it. Yes, yeah. I have, yeah. So it's, it's really important that you, you understand that you may have a overall budget, but then you have the micro budgets per, per property and micro budgets uh, in terms of your monthly cash flow so that this doesn't become all-consuming and uh, alters your lifestyle to the negative because you've honed down so much on the numbers but in the, in the wrong way. You need to, need to allocate money towards it but also still continue life as per normal as well. So the question I would have, I'm going to put you into a situation here. Mm-hmm. So you're an investor and you have, I don't know, two properties. Yep, forget the value for a minute, but let's yep. just talk about what the cash flow scenario is for it. And let's say they're giving you, both of them are giving you a 2.5% circa mm-hmm. yield. Actually, we will put value. Let's say that we're worth 1.5 mil. Mm-hmm. But you've got two of them. Yep. 2.5% yield. And you are at only this point in time, you're just sneaking through in terms of not just a physical ability to be able to hold them, but also from a serviceability, so the bank's mm-hmm. eyes on you well. How many positions of diversification do you have or do you have the ability to be able to, to, to tack and pivot based on rates today of, say, 25 to 3% versus mm-hmm. rates at 5%? You don't have much. You don't have much room at all because... You and Sorry, I'd interrupt, but this... That's my whole point because rates, as you said, mm-hmm. can 110% guarantee that rates will go up. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not even budgeting for that mm-hmm. today and you're budgeting for it too late, then you've just found yourself as one of those people. That's right. Yes, you've got to find the cash flow and find the money before you need it. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, I guess what you're trying to highlight there is that you need to forward project a few years into the future as well as to what your worst case scenario is going to be and reverse engineer to say, okay, this is what I've got. This is my best case scenario. Most people do it in reverse. They, they project for best case scenario and they realize they've got the worst case scenario here, right? So uh, it, it's important that uh, if, you, if you had a red line in terms of holding your properties right now with the current interest rates, take a strong hard look at your portfolio. You need, you need to do some level of diversification, even if it means after speaking with the accountant, you offload one or two of your properties to, so that you're not losing the whole lot. Because there's a, there's a certain element of speculation mm. when you just all in on one type of property, one type of asset class, if you will. But without, but in the abs, without education, so within the absence of knowledge, we guess. Mm. And when we guess, we're speculating. 
and the mother of all evil is speculating when leveraging debt. Correct. There is nothing worse. And so don't just go into it with your eyes wide shut. Get the, get the knowledge behind you first or surround yourself with the right people so that you do have that knowledge and you can make educated mm. decisions because there are so many moving parts to this. Absolutely. And, and uh, one of the um, um, rhetorics that came up in one of the Facebook lives was, uh, you know, you should not invest uh, via speculating. You should invest via calculating. Right, so you're calculating what your exposure is, you're calculating what your cash flow is, and you're calculating where you want to end up in terms of the portfolio so that you're then buying the right assets to begin with. And you can't do that even if you have a few assets unless you're continually reviewing that's right, your yeah. position. And that, that's one of the things we do with our clients is, is give uh, a continual review uh, of their portfolio. So uh, depending on the rapidity that they're buying and, and the um, position of their portfolio, it could be um, on a quarterly basis or it could be once a year as, as they start going towards consolidation, right? So it, 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 it is something that uh, we encourage our clients. And if you're an investor, definitely, uh, if no one is setting eyes on your numbers uh, other than you, then I think you're going to embellish a little bit because none of us like being wrong. None of us like being in a position where our, our judgment call uh, hasn't quite panned out the way we thought, right? So we need independent eyes on the portfolio to call a spade a spade. But also, uh, it, it, just like we do with our portfolio, right? You, you look at my portfolio numbers and I look at yours because we pick up things that was right under our nose that we've, we've just glossed over because, we know, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. You become too familiar. Yeah, that's right. And there's no cash flow project, or well, there is cash flow projections, but that's probably not a, a, a the right way to say it. But there is so many moving parts, as I mentioned earlier, on to the portfolio when you've got potentially millions of dollars of debt. If you're not reviewing the situation as often as you can mm. and as practical as you can, or having someone do it for you, then you've got this beast of a potential machine that's just ambling on with no direction, no servicing, and no servicing, yeah. no cash flow management, <laughs> and potentially no asset at the yep. end of the at the end of the journey. All right, so let's get back to the basics now in terms of creating the balanced portfolio. What's the very first? Well, sorry, we have talked about the first step, which is your personal circumstances mm -hmm. around capital and cash flow, the two yep. finite resources. We have now a goal mm -hmm. that we've created at the end of it, and we have a let's call it a measured timeline so that might be some benchmarks along the way such as the one three five year mm -hmm. benchmark time frames if you will and we have a couple of hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars whatever it may look like to you to start with we have decent serviceability mm -hmm. it's now time to pull the trigger yep so i'm assuming we've already got finance approval and we have finance approval yep. okay so we'd be looking then obviously it depending on which which way you want to tack right whether you want to go um into um, pure capital growth type properties or you're going um, your your uh, enhance your cash flow type properties right because that that comes back to de de determining um, it, it is determined by your actual goals and your actual present circumstances so it could be that um, as, as I look at a hypothetical example that uh, you've got a child coming on later in the year uh, and you'd be down to one income, perhaps the first property that you're buying might not be that heavy negative cash flow. It needs to be relatively neutral in, in cash flow. Pre-tax. Pre-tax, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then whose name does it go under? The person that's going to 
bring in the income to begin with? What's the plan with this property? Once you've sorted that out and looking at the amount of capital we've got and the amount of pre-approval that we've got and making sure that the pre-approval actually matches the capital available because often people have a mismatch. The broker might get you as high an approval as possible without taking into account the full the deposit required. Uh, and when you go on to that and you realize, hang on, I haven't got enough money to actually buy this property. So matching that first will help you determine which state, what type of property, and uh, and how involved are you want to be? Is it is it going to be a set and forget? Yeah, so uh, relatively, um, you know, unoccupied area with with a relatively newish property, or are you want to get? Uh, do you want to get your hands dirty because you've got time in your hands, so you've got the skill set to enhance the value, right? Because like you said earlier, there, there's uh, ways of boosting up the capital position. One one is obviously by buying really well, which we which we do. Um, the other is, of course, pushing the value up by doing a cosmetic renovation. So it, let's say your skill set was that way, um, that way inclined. Um, it would make sense to start off with that because that way we're actually enhancing the value straight away. We're potentially increasing the cash flow onto that property straight away as well. It also gives us the ability to then leverage off that quicker to get into the next acquisition, right? But as we're buying the first one, we need to be looking at the second property that we're potentially going to buy as well so that we're not buying something that totally locks us out of being able to purchase any further properties at all because that's our max tolerance limit in terms of capacity from the banks. Yeah, and so once again, many, many, many moving different parts. Mo- yeah. and, there's, and everybody's circumstances are a little different, so we're trying to be as general as mm-hmm. we can here. But at the end of the... At the end of the day, really, it's about multiple streams of income. Correct, correct. You don't want all the eggs in the one basket. Like, so one, one of the fundamentals of any investing is you don't want all the eggs in one basket. Now, yes, property is the vehicle that that's one type of asset, but it's just like shares, right? So when you're buying shares, you're buying different types of shares as well. Same with property. You're buying different types of properties, different areas, uh, and definitely... Uh, uh, a very long time ago, one of one of um, um, the books I read said, "You don't want to be a a um, big fish or a shark in a small pool. You want to be a shark in a in the ocean, right?" So what I mean by that is, you don't want to be a multiple property owner and owning say twenty percent of a suburb. No, right? So I'm talking about obviously regional areas and and so forth. Um, Instead, you could come into a area that has got far more population and have the same exposure there. We'll have far greater diversification, far less risk, and far more people able to take the properties off you, buy the properties off you for, for a profit to you if you wanted to sell down. Yeah, and so diversification yeah. all the time. And But to be fair, though, you, you might have a quadrillion properties and so... You know, maybe 20 in one suburb is, mm-hmm. is, is diversification compared to the other. But if we're going to be real, not many people will have that amount of property. No. So it is, it is really looking at it in single digits mm-hmm. in terms of the overall portfolio, just to keep it simple and making sure that you are borderless, as we often talk about. Yes. And that just like a share portfolio, there are different reasons for different types of these properties being in the portfolio mm-hmm. to give us the balanced approach. So I want to stress that again. There are properties there that are there for potentially cash flow there are properties there that are there for potentially growth but as long as we're continually 
balancing the bottom line of the overall cash flow position on the portfolio, then we're in a safer position mm -hmm. than being all in on one asset class, one big debt, one stream of income. That's right. So what you're saying, Steve, is that uh, we, sh you know, when you're buying properties, it might not have both components on it at the same time. But as you're looking at the entire portfolio, it's balancing out. So one may have a lot higher capital growth projection, but far lower yield. So, you know, you're circa 2% as an example. But that could be offset by another property that has got still got good growth, but has got a far higher yield uh, and has got the ability to enhance the yield yet even further by perhaps putting a granny flat on it. So it, it then when you look at that in combination, it reduces your holding costs significantly and therefore uh, uh, allows you to then go forward in terms of building your portfolio further, right? Um, and importantly, one of the things you mentioned was uh, borderless investing. The reason why we want to be borderless is that each state has got its different growth cycles and different types of properties and, and different fluctuations within the markets and the micro markets. I'm glad you said that because over 15,000 suburbs throughout Australia mm -hmm. and people want to give commentary around the market as though it, there is this one market. And it just doesn't work that way. There, you, you want to say there's a general market, then there's a state market, but the, the markets are actually randomly independent of each other That's right. to some degree. And potentially the best properties best properties that are going in, in five years' time are the ones that are stagnant today. Mm -hmm. But there's all the right ingredients for it to grow in the very near and immediate future. So once again, the diversified approach is absolutely paramount for a degree of mit risk mitigation, but also being able to capitalise on opportunities because of that economic circumstance mm. at that point in time in combination with your own. Yeah, and, and you mentioned growth and, and how uh, it may not grow straight away. Um, I wanted to bring an example from one of my very first properties I bought, which was a unit in Campbelltown in here in New South Wales. Uh, which was my first investment property that I bought back in 1999. I paid a princely sum of $70,000 for it, for a two-bedroom unit. Um, and all of my friends and all of my advisors at the time said, Campbelltown hasn't grown for 12 years. Why are you buying there? Now, um, I bought there because that was the only place I could afford. Right, that was that. I didn't know much at the time, but everything worked out well, right? But if you looked at it from that, twelve years of no growth, and pretty much immediately after I bought, just because I bought, of course, mm. um, it 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 had a growth surge, absolute growth surge, uh, and uh, the price rocketed from seventy thousand to one hundred and eighty-five thousand within two years uh, of that time, right? And then it stagnated again, right? So, if if someone's buying in there and and you're looking at the previous history of growth. And it works both ways, whether it has a really huge growth and you're jumping in there and buying, or whether it has a no growth. You need to be looking at what the fundamentals are and then what are the catalysts coming in to help surge the growth. Now, the catalyst is not just infrastructure and employment. It's also the, uh, the economy itself, uh, the market sentiment itself. You need to look at all of those things. So don't get stuck in in terms of, you know, this area has had no growth for the last 10 years and therefore it won't grow. And also, equally importantly, this year has this place has had phenomenal growth for the last ten years. So therefore, I need to buy in here. Yeah, there's both sides of the equation there, and I'm glad you mentioned that it was your first property and that you didn't really know much. Mm. Uh, and probably I don't know five podcasts ago, people you should go back and listen to it, where we talk about 
the mistakes that we did Absolutely. early on in our investing piece. Uh, and we're quite open about that and some of those mistakes we still own today individually mm-hmm. and uh, but also the wins and I think it's important that people know the things that we've tried and that didn't work because we didn't have the education around right. us back then because no one existed like mm. they do in today's capacity. And the other point I want to make about uh, what you talked about was really around data because if you were reliant upon that piece of data where there was no growth for the last 10 years mm-hmm. – let's pretend that you fast forward and that you're who you are today, you, w- you wouldn't purchase there because the data told you there's been... That's right. You no, told no me not growth. to buy there. So my point is if you are reliant and you think that data is the holy grail and the be-all and end-all in your investment decisions, you need to think again. Ground truth is what ground, gets you there. Yeah. Data points you in a direction. The ground truth will reveal the gold or mm-hmm. the, the, the decision behind it. If you are relying upon algorithms within data for real estate, you're, you're walking a very fine line and you will be burnt somewhere if you just rely upon that. Mm-hmm. So the truth, the data behind the truth is just as important as the truth behind the data. Now, we're quickly running out of time, Vic. So what would be your takeaway well, from this? Really, it is it is all about doing your household budget and, and bringing it back to your disposable income and, and not, not fudging the figures to begin with, right? So that's paramount and understanding what makes um, a, a, a good portfolio. The first is cash flow. The second is the availability of capital. The third is availability of finance. So you could have all the cash flow that you've got and all the, fi- uh, all the capital that you've got, but if you can't get a loan then you're going to be buying cash so you'll need a lot more capital, right? And then once you've got those three, you need to be buying towards a plan. What's the purpose of this property? What what am I going to do with this property? So that, that way you can shut out the white noise. Uh, and once you've done that, then you pull the trigger to say, okay, this is where I'm going to buy, match it to the finance. Uh, and once you've bought it, make sure you actually manage it because most people... And their journey once they bought it, and they say, "Okay, yeah, it'll it'll grow." You need to you need to look at the numbers on a consistent basis to ensure that you you're managing it. What what we call in terms of fine tuning your portfolio, uh, and um, uh, and once you've once you've done all of that, then you look at okay, what next? But most people try and put uh, too many purchases too rapidly without looking at the fundamentals and looking at where they where they're going, especially in a climate like this. Uh, this is where they they would go wrong because they haven't done their numbers. Yeah, and I'll I'll add to that, Sam, but that before we start, we need to think about the exit. Yeah. And we need to reverse engineer from then. And as I mentioned earlier on, we need some tangible benchmarks mm-hmm. along the way. So once again, we talk about Design of Decade. I think that was the last podcast yep. where there's the one, three, five year immediate goals with a 10 year overarching mm-hmm. and then beyond. But they're they're tangible. We can reach them so that it's not in the never-never, but we need to be very structured, deliberate, methodical in terms of the creation of the portfolio and each asset type within there and the reason that it needs to be there and the Mm -hmm. result that it gives us so that once again we're building a very balanced portfolio, if you will, that gives us longevity. That's right. And it's important to get put a time frame to it, right? Because uh, if you don't put a time frame to it, there's no time pressure on it so it's it's like if you if you've got homework as an example right? i remember during the school days if you had homework and it, it was due in two weeks time when did you start it probably yeah, it the night on, before yeah no, i was actually trying to yeah. if my kids are listening to this i was 
two weeks I'd started. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, if not, I was I was the crammer. Yeah, from way back. And 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 that that's what most people do with their with their property investing is then uh, because they haven't put a time frame to it. Come age fifty five, then all of a sudden they wake up. Geez, I've got to do something, right? Because exams coming, exams coming, right? Uh, and which so is the retirement, retirement is ended. I don't have enough. Right. I don't have enough. That's right. Yeah. So that's why you need to start as early as possible and put a time frame to you to it. Where does it end? The exit. Where Where are you exiting out of it? And if you've got the time frame, then then there is a bit of pressure to get it right and and, and have a sequence of purchases, whether it is one purchase or multiple purchases. Uh, and and that's the main secret of successful property investing. It's not a you know buy whenever um, you know you remember. It is a planned, methodical approach. And so it should be when there's mm. millions of dollars absolutely on the table, almost like clueless enthusiasm. Really, it's I like, like that. we we have we know we kind of should, and it sounds mm. pretty attractive to doing it, but. There is a lot of hard work mm. creating a portfolio. It's not just as you mentioned, ambling along, and well, I just I think I better buy again because it's been a while. Yeah, I've actually found the most successful uh, investors are the ones that are methodical and structured, mm-hmm. and that are operating within frameworks, so that they can reach these tangible milestones along the way. Mm-hmm. Because it's really easy to fall out of the habit. Yeah, and, and just say, no, life takes over. Yeah, and I've got to get another loan approval and they want a metre high full of paperwork and it's just all hard. I'll put that on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And then what usually happens is, is the market, as an example, starts to take off. It's a mad scramble with everybody else to do the very same thing and you find yourself actually paying 5 10 15% more because now there's a FOMO effect exactly. within the market. So the best investors are the ones that are structured, methodical and deliberate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that actually put the hard work in to be in a position to purchase and you know, potentially surround yourself with people. I know I do, I and mean, you hold me responsible on my portfolio, and I hold your mm. you hold you responsible <laughs> for your portfolio, making sure that yeah we're hitting our milestones mm-hmm. along the way. And I would suggest that others have those people Absolutely. in their life yeah. uh, as well. So I, I guess I'll use that segue, Steve, and. Um, uh, I'll, I'll ask the listener that if, if they wanted us to um, hold them accountable and take them through the journey in terms of building a sustainable portfolio that doesn't negatively impact lifestyle, uh, then give us a yell. Uh, we'd, we'd more than happy to chat. Uh, the uh, email address is questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au or if you're more of a phone person, one three hundred three zero two one double six. I was just about. I, I would not know that number. I know it. I don't. I know I numbers. <laughs> I don't remember the last time that we've ever given that number out. But obviously, people use it on a mm-hmm. multiple times a day. Well, there it is, guys and girls. Uh, this fortnight's version of the filmed uh, Investing Insights podcast. We have a another one coming out in another fortnight, but mm-hmm. it'll be with uh, Phil Tarrant from SPI. Uh, and in between that, we have our Facebook lives and our other social events. So feel free to jump onto our social pages, Insta, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever it may be, uh, and interact, ask the questions, um, and we will see you in two. 
The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.